People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Game week 31 in the Premier League is about to begin, so it's time for another episode of Premier League Insights. We'll be splitting up the fixtures into two parts this week. Here for both of those, as he has been for every episode this season, is Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. You right, Jake? Yeah, very well, thank you. Um, tried to watch as much of the football as possible at the weekend, but there's just one every hour, pretty much, like buses. You wait for one, and then they all come at once. <laughs> yeah, the way they're, they're splitting up is a bit... I mean, it's a bit strange, but it's it's nice to, whenever you want, There's there tends to be a game of football on. But as it's, it's another busy week this week. As I said in the intro, we'll, we'll split it up for, for game week 31. We've got fixtures that are playing tonight in Leicester and, Bright, Leicester and Brighton and Tottenham and West Ham. Um, and then we'll we'll chat again sort of later down the line for, for part two where we cut the other fixtures. But for this one, are you ready to go? Yes, yeah, two good fixtures on Tuesday. Yeah, so we'll go to Leicester versus Brighton and... I mean, I think Leicester are, are glad that the the number of games left is is running out because the way things are going for them, if we had another ten, twelve games to go, I, I reckon they'd struggle to keep hold of that that top four spot. They've they've been a bit fortunate all season, and they almost managed to get a, an undeserved win against Watford, were it not for that that last gasp overhead kick from Dawson. Um, as for Brighton, they they got a massive win against Arsenal. Wasn't the greatest games. I think Brighton were were zero point seven seven xg. Arsenal were just under one expected goal. Um, obviously, a little bit of controversy with Neil Morpie scoring the late winner, but they really won't care one bit. And I think they were they're probably due a slice of good luck. And and for them, given the way that results went, I think res, uh, relegation isn't going to be too much of a worry. Um, in terms of the market, Pinnacle has got Leicester as the one point six five three favourite, giving them a fifty six percent chance of victory. Brighton a 5.67, which is just under 20% chance of the win. And the draw is 4.05, or around 25% chance. Um, as for the goals market, we're almost 50-50 on this, on the over-under over for 2.5 goals. So the market is is yet to make its mind up on that one. Where are you looking for the value here? Yeah, the, for us, the main value play is, is in the goals market. But um, like you just said there, both the teams had um, results go for them at the weekend. Obviously, Leicester could only manage a draw at Watford, which, um, as you've already mentioned, was a you know the least that Watford deserved from the game. Uh, but Man United drew below them. Uh, all right, Wolves won, but they, they're still uh, behind Manchester United. And obviously, Sheffield United have had a bad week all in all. So, there's only really Chelsea that made any ground upon Leicester. As for Brighton, um, they got a massive win to move themselves. Five clear of the drop zone with, uh, obviously, Norwich, Villa, Bournemouth uh, and West Ham all losing, so a decent weekend for both sides, despite the um, you know the, obviously Leicester failing to get the win. But yeah, I think I think you're dead right with that. Um, the fact that Leicester are probably happy to see that there's only eight games left of the season, uh, as opposed to maybe ten or twelve. They have really. Um, I, I was disappointed with them against Watford. I've got to say, I, it almost like they just didn't click. A um, little bit of rustiness, perhaps. They might be better for the game. Um, uh, especially coming into this one. But yeah, uh, from what we saw prior to the break as well, there were signs there that they were beginning to um, to struggle um, and maybe maybe be found out a little bit in the patterns of play. 
Um, but yeah, still they're in a very comfortable position. Um, and you know, I think you said there, fifty-six percent chance of a Leicester win on on the market. Yeah, we're, we're pretty much the same. We're fifty-seven percent, so just a tiny amount of value, perhaps, if you want to go there. Personally, I would I would avoid Leicester in this game. Um, I, I'm, you know, we're massive advocates of Brighton, um, and and what what they've been doing all season under Graham Potter. Uh, and also, if you look at um, Leicester's home form, you'll you'll see that they've actually been pretty impressive on the whole on the whole this season in terms of um, in terms of collecting points. They picked up thirty points from fifteen home games, which is the third best record in the league. But then, if you look a little bit closer at the numbers, um, they've actually been exceptionally fortunate to pick so many points up. So, according to expected goal difference. They've been the tenth best team in the Premier League um, according to home expected goal process. So, averaging just one point five three expected goals for one point three two expected goals against. You compare that to the ad, uh, the actual goals which they've scored, which is two per game and, and conceded one per game. You know they've been a massive overperforming team at home. Something that probably won't continue. And you know if they are to pick up the you know the wins that they need to ensure that top four spot, then they're going to need to improve that home process going down the home stretch. For sure. Um, as for Brighton, that great win against Arsenal. It was something that Infigol thought uh, was likely, and we made them favourites in that game. So the price that you got around um, three point two, I think, when they went off, where it was a huge price. Um, and you know they're an even bigger price in this game. I'm not saying that they're going to go and get the win, but they've only lost once in the last six um, Premier League games. Obviously, the, the narrative before the Arsenal game was the fact that they hadn't won uh, in 2020. Um, obviously, that is out the window now. But you know, as we spoke about last uh, last week, ahead <coughs> of the Arsenal game, the, pro- the performances in that uh, winless streak were actually really impressive. I think they won the XG battle in five of the nine matches in which they failed to win. Um, you know, and in that unbeaten, oh, sorry, in that run I've just spoke about, one defeat in six, they've actually they went to Sheffield United and got a point, and they went to Wolves and got a point. So two pretty decent teams at this level. Um, you know, Wolves fourth in our expected goals table. Sheffield United, I think, are about eighth and uh, ninth in our expected goals table. Um, Leicester come into this uh, as the sixth best team on, on on XG. So you know, Brighton have already been to tough places prior to the break and, and picked up points. Something similar could easily happen here. Um, you know, as we've said all season long, their underlying process has been very impressive, um, and it's much improved uh, under Potter as as opposed to what they showed last season under Chris Hewton. Um, you know, the only thing that, they, that is a little bit of a negative if you're thinking about getting Brighton on side is the fact that um, away from home, they are a very vulnerable defensive unit. So they, they allow 1.8 expected goals against per game uh, on the travels, just 1.3 at home. So, yeah, away from home, they're allowing around 0.5 more expected goals um, per game. And I'm sure Leicester will be looking at, uh, at trying to exploit Brighton in whatever way they can, but um, that won't be easy, I don't think. Um, and, you know, as, as I've said there, there isn't too much value in, in backing Leicester to get the win. Where there is value is looking at the goals market. Um, now, obviously, Brighton got that win five points clear. The pressure is not fully off them just yet, um, but, you know, they, they, they could well, this is a free hit for them, really, away at one of the teams, currently third in the table, not expected to really go there and get anything. Um, you know, a point would be a great result, but. If they could go there and get three, would be even better. I think that Graham Potter will set his side up to attack because um, you know, that's the only way that they know how to how to play uh, play expansive football. 
with some you know really talented attacking players. Think of Trossard and Pascal Gross, as well as Neil Morpai, who got the winner at the weekend. So I think we could be in for a high-scoring game in this one. And um, you know the model agrees. The model calculates a 62% chance of over two and a half goals um, with the market around 50-50. So th- there's a huge amount of value there in, in backing over two and a half goals. Uh, and it's the same with both teams to score. I think the market's looking at this Again, thinking it's going to be a, a tight, low-scoring game. Uh, it's got both teams to score at around 50-50 as well. So, um, you know, the model thinks there's a 59% chance of both teams hitting the net. I think that's a really good bet, personally, uh, given what Leicester have shown um, pr- uh, pre-break and post-break so far. Um, and obviously what Brighton have shown all season long. So, yeah, I think the best bet in this game is looking at both teams to score. Well, some some great analysis into the, the game that will, will help people make their predictions. And... I guess the the other question then is these these two teams we mentioned there Leicester top four looking like they're they're safe to to secure that and and Brighton a little bit of a gap now to the relegation zone and pressure not fully off but they're, they're, it's looking likely that they'll they'll avoid the drop so if you were if you're a betting man I'm guessing you're siding with Leicester to finish top four and and Brighton to to avoid relegation for anyone out there that might have outright bets on on Leicester top four or or Brighton to be safe or to get relegated what are your thoughts there. Yeah, um, I mean, when we spoke about the, the Premier League predictions and projections a couple of weeks ago, um, we talked about the relegation zone. But Brighton re- really didn't come into the into the chat at all because we we were so sure of them staying up. I think we had them at around um, between eight and fifteen percent chance of going down. Um, I think compare that to like West Ham's thirty and Watford's thirty. Um, so we would, you know, even though they'd only got a point buffer at the time. We were really confident that um, that Brighton would stay up, even though they have got a, a, a you know pretty difficult schedule coming up. Um, personally, I always think that Brighton under Graham Potter are more suited to playing against the better teams and against the the lesser teams, just purely because they can go toe to toe with them in terms of possession football, and and they've got some really good passes in the midfield that can break lines, so um, they can catch the better teams out, which could be um, you know an interesting angle in this game. Um, as for Leicester. Again, I think we were around 90% chance that they'd finish in the top four um, prior to the restart. That might have decreased only marginally after the weekend. Um, and that's because obviously Manchester United have got one of their tougher games out the way, um, away at Spurs. Uh, they've got a, a much easier schedule than what Leicester have uh, down the home stretch. And obviously Man United play Leicester in the final game of the season, which is uh, at the King Power. And it could all come down to that, realistically. Um, there's only eight points between them. If Leicester carry on, showing the form that they have been um, or they had been prior to the break in which they were losing to teams such as Norwich, then, um, you know, it could it could be a nail-biting finish. But um, on the whole, we think that Leicester will end up finishing in that top four. Um, you know, I think that our forecast table's got them still finishing third. I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea overtook them. Um, but I think a top four finish for Leicester is, is still very highly likely, probably around 85%. Um, yeah, I think I think that's probably a fair assessment. Well, Tottenham versus West Ham is our next game, and and this one the the lead up a lot of it was about Mourinho, and and we spoke about the the narrative of the the former club and the time he had to pre- prepare for the game, and I think now the the new Mourinho masterclass isn't that defensive structure and and being difficult to break down. It's effectively just not playing well and and still managing to get something out of the game. <laughs> um, Spurs they, they they didn't do. Barely anything going forward. The goal obviously came from a bit of a mistake from David De Gea. Um, but 
in truth, neither neither did United really. I think that's is shown by the the XG figures. Tottenham zero point four seven to United one point six nine. Looks impressive, but there was a penalty in there as well. Um, and in this one, I think Tottenham have been limited going forward. This is definitely a game where they've they've got a chance to go for it and and really attack West Ham because they're absolutely woeful. Um, I think I can use a <laughs> coming from a West negative Ham fan, word for yeah. them every every day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, they they limited Wolves for for a large part of the game. They they crumbled a little bit. Obviously, those substitutions changed the game for Wolves. It was it was obviously the game plan for David Moyes though, because they they did absolutely nothing going forward. Must have just 0.43 um, expected goals from the the massive total of, of four attempts on goal, two of which were were actually on target. It's it's relegation is is a real worry for them now, and it's it's basically a case of will the teams below them do do as bad or or worse than then from from now until the end of the season. Pinnacle doesn't really give them much of a chance of a win here. Twenty percent chance to be precise. Odds of odds of five point seven four. Tottenham have a fifty six percent chance to win at one point six zero nine, and the draw is given twenty four percent chance at four point two eight. So it's it's very closely priced up to the to the game that we just talked about. Um, a slightly higher goals mark two point five and three. Betters are favouring the under given what we've seen from these two teams in attack this season, and and it's probably easy to see why they're they're siding with that that lower goals total. What what sort of game do you think we're in for here? Is there is there any value on offer? Yeah, yeah, we we see quite a bit of value. Um, I think we're going to be in for a, a surprisingly entertaining game as well. Um, obviously, you think back to to the first time these sides met, which was Jose Mourinho's first game in charge at, at the London Stadium, um, and Spurs won that one three two in what was a, a really you know it was a game that was over at half time. I think it was two nil or three nil at half time. Um, before West Ham rallied late, but there was plenty of chances at both ends, and I, I think something similar here. Um, you know, one thing that that you can say about Spurs is that um, while they, you know, while they continue to be really poor on the eye test, um, they somehow keep almost scraping points. Um, you know, the last two Premier League games, uh, pre-break and post-break, drew with Burnley um, in a game in which they conceded three point seven expected goals. Um, uh, and obviously the post-break they've drew with Manchester United in a game in which they created pretty much next to nothing, um, apart from the, uh, the Steven Bergwijn goal, which, like you said, was a you know serious mistake by both Maguire and De Gea. Uh, and they conceded 1.7 xG. Obviously, 0.8 of that comes from the penalty. But, you know, you think about the Martial chance, which Lloris tipped over the bar. The Rashford chance in the first half, which, again, Lloris saved with his feet. Was, I thought it was a really good save, reaction save. Um, you know, it could have been a lot worse for Spurs. And I think the worst thing for me when I'm looking at Tottenham is that the players that they have on the pitch and the attacking players that they have on the pitch, you think about Bergvine, Hummin Son, um, Lamella was playing, I thought he had a decent game to be fair, um, and Harry Kane, that front four should be enough to cause any team problems. But the way that Mourinho's got them playing, it's almost like they don't want to create any problems. They're just happy to just like let the game pass them by. Um you know, they went one 0 up and and didn't show any attacking impetus whatsoever for the following eighty minutes or nine, 70 minutes or however long was left after the goal. So that's something that's going to have to change. I hope it does change because, like I said, they've got really some really attacking, exciting players. Um, but you know, Mourinho really needs to um, let them off the leash, really, and and, and let them go and, and create chances and score goals. Obviously, the flip side of that is that if when they do that, they concede a lot of chances. Um, we spoke about it last week. 
Defensively, they are a real mess at the minute. Um, they looked a little bit more assured for parts of the game against Manchester United uh, with Eric Dyer in alongside Davinson Sanchez, but he still fits in that mould of, of Batongan and Alderweireld that's been, for me anyway, a little bit too slow on the turn, um, meaning that the, the defence just drifts deeper and deeper, uh, providing more space for the attacking midfielders, as we saw with uh, Man United on. On Friday, Pogba, Fernandez getting plenty of space in and around the Tottenham box to pull uh, to create chances. Uh, obviously, the one chance that springs to mind was Fernandez's fantastic turn on the edge of the box, uh, and he slotted Martial through before Dyer blocked it. That sort of thing happens way too often with Spurs um, defensively, uh, and too often they're, they're asking Hugo Lloris to bail them out, which in certain games he has, um, and in other games he hasn't been able to. Um, yeah. That, They've just been poor. I think they've they've allowed two point zero eight expected goals against per game in the last ten, um, which is you know relegation sort of uh, defensive statistics. So you know that coupled with um, West Ham's shoddy defence, as as we've already touched on, then um, you know that's the main reason we're looking at the goals uh, goals angle. West Ham, you, you you know I think one of the main things we're going to see post break, one of the main trends is that the the teams with the the better squads are going to fare a lot better than the teams with the worst squads because obviously five subs um, you get to make five changes. Um, you know, I watched Manchester City versus Burnley the other day. Um, five, I think it was five nil or was it maybe four nil, um, and Pep Guardiola's got Kevin De Bruyne and Ameri Laporte warming up, and you're just thinking, well, what's going through Sean Dyche's head? Just just give us a break, man. Uh, and then he brought Leroy Sane on as well, and it's just. High quality change after high quality change, and that was the set the case with Wolves. Obviously, um, you know Adama Traore is a, a pretty good game changer at this level, uh, and being able to bring him on against um, tired legs uh, was, you know, yeah, it was game changing. And obviously, I think Pedro Neto as well, uh, who came on and scored the second goal, that's going to be massively beneficial. And I think that Tottenham's squad is is good enough in the, in the attacking areas to to have a similar impact in this game. Um, obviously, Deli Ali's back after his suspension. Uh, he's another player that can come off the bench. Lo Celso came off the bench last week uh, against Manchester United. So there are players there that can come and come on and change the game when uh, when West Ham get a little bit weary. But yeah, the West Ham they've been very poor since David Moyes came in. They've been poor all season. There's not been any upturn in process or, or results um, or performances since Moyes took over from Pellegrini. Um, and you know that, that's that's the the major worry really. Uh, obviously, Moyes is, is renowned as a safe pair of hands, uh, with inverted commas around that. Um, but they've not been safe at all, and they're in real trouble of uh, of dropping through that trap door. Uh, I think the only thing that's sparing the blushes at the minute is just how bad Bournemouth are. Um, that's managing to get in the way of West Ham looking even worse. Away from home, they're allowing 2.2 expected goals against per game, which is uh, one of the highest in the league. I think it's second only to Aston Villa. Um, so yeah, you know you've got two really poor defenses going head to head. Some good attacking talent uh, on offer both sides. I think <clears throat> obviously West Ham have struggled in attack recently, but there are some good players on the counter attack to be wary of. Obviously, uh, Mikel Antonio springs to mind with his pace. So yeah, we're, we're expecting a high scoring game, um, a more high scoring game than um, than what the the goal line is currently suggesting. It said their market's around fifty four percent. We're at sixty three percent. So. Uh, we do think there's going to be um, oh, there's value in backing the goals and both teams to score as well. 61%, 55% on the market. So, yeah, 
given that both teams can't defend, um, but they both offer a decent amount in attack, I think both teams' score is probably, and again, a really solid selection. I think both teams' scores landed in uh, all of Tottenham's last four Premier League games. Um, and obviously West Ham, I think that's landed in three of the last six with three games against Wolves, uh, Arsenal and Manchester City. So, yeah, I'm expecting goals in the 1x2 market. We're priced up pretty much similar to what's uh, what's available on the market. If anything, we're a little bit more, or a little bit stronger on West Ham's chances. Um, you'll be pleased to hear, Ben, we're giving them a 23% chance of winning as opposed to the 20% on the market. So, a little bit of value there if you wanted a massive outsider um, to upset the apple cart again for Jose Mourinho. But the main play is looking at goals, both teams to score. It's the small things that matter, Jake. I'll take the extra one or two percent wherever I can. Um, <laughs> just just on Tottenham, it's obviously their their drop in performance over. I mean, it's it's been quite a while now. It's it's been for pretty much all of all of, all of twenty twenty. Um, it's. It's right across the pitch, and one thing that a lot of people tend to tend to pinpoint is is Harry Kane and a slight dip from him. And I think there's obviously injuries have played a part. He's always been at an elite level and, and one of those guys that will outperform his xG consistently. But how much do you read into his kind of lack of contribution in in Tottenham's drop in performance? Um, well, I think. When we're talking about Spurs' drop in performance, you've got to look much further back than uh, than 2020 because it was in fact the turn of the year last year in 2019 where we saw a real decline in underlying process, which was obviously under Maurizio Pochettino at the time. Um, and you know, if you remember the they were in uh, they were in a title race up until around Christmas time, just a, a, into the new year. And they went on a, a terrible run to finish the season while obviously getting to the Champions League final. But that terrible run was uh, was deserved. Their performances in that time were horrendous. Um, and what's basically happened is that that carried on into 2019-20 season. Um, and that's the reason why Spurs were struggling so badly um, at, the, at the start of the season and why Pochettino ended up losing his job and why things haven't turned around since Mourinho's come in. Because, yeah, they've been playing really poorly for for a long period of time in terms of XG. As for Harry Kane, uh, he unfortunately is a striker and, and most strikers are heavily dependent on service. Um, obviously, we've seen Kane can score a goal on his own. Um, he's done that many a time, but in this current Tottenham team, he's not getting the ball enough to be able to do that. I think he had uh, in the first half against Man United, he touched the ball nine times or, or nine or ten times. And, you know, he, he's not going to be able to do anything with that. He was basically a passenger in that game. And, um, and basically, Spurs need to get the ball to him more often. But also, uh, you know, what has a knock-on effect is if you don't give him the ball very often, he comes deeper for the ball to try and get on the ball and, you know, get a few touches and try and make things happen from deep. But when he does that, then there's no one in the box. So, um, you know, it's, it, he, he, I feel a bit sorry for Harry Kane. Um, he's stuck in a rock and hard place. His XG per 90 numbers have decreased since, uh, I think he peaked in 17, 18. They've been on the decline ever since. And I think that's just purely down to the fact that um, Spurs have stopped creating uh, the same amount of chances for him. And they're just expecting him to be as clinical off scraps. And there's only so much you can do, really. I think he's got scored 11 goals this season. I think he's about nine expected goals. So he's still overperforming according to his um, uh, you know, his XG tally. But he basically, he feeds off uh, off scraps in this Spurs team. So they need to start creating more, uh, more for him, better chances more often um, to be able to, 
you know, for, for him to get anywhere near the dizzy heights that he was in in seventeen eighteen. I mean, for example, if you put him in the in the Manchester City team, who create big chance after big chance, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that Harry Kane would probably on 30 goals um, this season because he's, like I said, an elite finisher at this level. Um, the other thing that I always have a question mark around Harry Kane is his fitness. Um, he hasn't looked fit for two or three years, in my opinion. He looks like he's been playing 80% and you know his 80% is still better than um, other players, 100%. And I thought that was the case again on, on, on Friday night. He didn't look uh, fully fit despite the three-month break. Um, that's something that he's been battling with Ever since, um, I think it was it was his ankle or, or, or something before the uh, the Euros, and he was rushed back. Uh, and he did, you know, I think he just needs a longer break. To be honest, he, if you think about the, uh, the the international tournaments that we've been playing in in the summer, um, obviously the World Cup, then the uh, what's it, the Nations League, he hasn't really had a proper break throughout the summer. Um, so. Yeah, I think he, he needs a bit of rest, recuperation, uh, but more importantly, he needs better service, um, and that's only going to improve if Tottenham improve their attacking process. Yeah, I mean, he might he might need some some rest, but I don't think he's going to get it anytime soon, given that the way things have panned out, and and neither are we. We're we're done for for part one, just the two games, and we'll be back again soon, obviously for part two. Some some great insight as ever, Jake. I, I appreciate you coming on and. I'll be speaking to you again soon. Cheers cheers for the the episode today. Nice one. Thanks, Ben. And anyone interested in learning more about InfoGold or or taking a closer look at the data that's been quoted, you can visit infogold.net, follow at InfoGold app on Twitter and download the app on iOS and Android. And I also think you're, am I right in thinking you're available on Instagram now as well, Jake? We are, yes. We have a a new up and running Instagram page. Um, We've some, like we have the XG features on there. obviously make it look very glossy as an Instagram page should be. Um, but yeah, basically everything we talk about on here um, is uh, replicated on, onto the Instagram page in a, a much nicer looking graphic. There you go. So you can go follow that as well. And while you're at it, you've got the Pinnacle Live Scores app, which is also available on iOS and Android. And that features odds alerts and the ability to set favourites so you can tailor your live betting experience to make in-play easier than ever. All the odds that we've quoted for Game Week 31 today and on future episodes will be available on pinnacle.com. Good luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly. 